Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. Now, around about this time, all of our institutions, including our arts institutions, are opening up. But what kind of art, what kind of thing will they be uh, displaying and exhibiting? It seems that a day doesn't go past now where one or other of our institutions uh, has gone entirely political as opposed to, if you like, artistic. Uh, one such is the Institute for Contemporary Arts, which opened this week, and it's got a new exhibition, which is called War in a Babylon, which apparently would seem on the face of it to be more about systemic racism in Britain than anything artistic. Now, what exactly is going on? What can we do about it, if anything? Now, with me to discuss this today, I'm very, very pleased we have the artist, art critic and author, Alexander Adams. Um, Alexander is an internationally exhibited artist. His catalogue for one of his works, I think you'll agree, it's quite beautiful. And he also writes for the Critic magazine and indeed is the author of a number of books, including most recently Culture War, uh, which of course, you know, is uh, goes straight to the heart of what we talk about on this channel and indeed iconoclasm, which uh, addressed as well uh, this phenomenon which we've seen over the past uh, year of the assault on history and statues. Uh, thank you very much for coming, Alexander. Thank you. Um, I mentioned there the Institute of Contemporary Arts. Now, this is a gallery in London. It's been going since the 1940s, isn't it? Uh, you have protested against what they've been doing for quite some time, haven't you? Can you explain what this exhibition is that's opened this week, this one I mentioned, War in a Babylon? What is that? Well, uh, judging from the press release, because it uh, hasn't yet opened, but judging from the press release, this is going to be a collection of uh, documentary materials, uh, interviews, um, photographs, um, press reports, um, and a presentation, um, a live presentation, uh, which is uh, centering on the issue of policing in Tottenham and especially uh, race relations in Tottenham. Um, and this is uh, essentially all documentary material. There is no art involved at all. And when I mentioned this to um, the culture secretary and the ICA, the ICA replied saying this was contextualization. So they're basically admitting that it's not art at all, no. that this is um, actually, I would go so far as to say this is political campaigning by proxy because yes. they're inviting in activists, political activists, community activists um, to use the ICA as a platform in order to um, push their ideas. And I have to say now that I don't know what their ideas are and I don't know the situation of um, policing in Tottenham and I take no, no position on that. Uh, it may be a very worthwhile subject, but I don't think it's a subject that's suitable for a publicly funded art gallery. But the things that I read this press release too, and they seem to be quite clear about systemic racism in Britain, uh, the problem of the black response to policing. It seemed to be, actually it's quite clear actually what their agenda was. And they also mention as well the 2011 riots, don't they, in London, uh, particularly Mark Duggan. Yeah, so apparently this uh, this um, presentation, I can't really call it an exhibition, this presentation is centering on the police shooting of Mark Duggan. Um, again, this this is a serious issue. Um, I, I can't don't feel qualified to comment on it, but I do think that it's um, inappropriate for the ICA to be doing this. I think especially because of two things. 
The first thing is it's using uh, arts funding in order to do political programming. Um, this is actually, um, I think it's pretty much outlawed by the Charities Commission. The Charities Commission says that um, charities cannot politically campaign on anything other than their core subject. So for example, if you're um, your organization is Save the Elephants. You can, um, you can lobby for changes in um, laws to do with the ivory trade, because this relates directly to your, um, to your charity's function. However, an arts organization can't simply invite in political activists or political uh, or social activists in order just to use the venue and the money for political campaigning. This is um, complete um, uh, misappropriation of funds, I would say. And also, so, so it's breaking charity regulations. Uh, I believe also that it's using money that it has taken in donations from um, companies, private donors, and the British taxpayer, and using this money that's earmarked for arts for political campaigning. And I think that that's um, it's quite a serious ethical issue. What actually, if you take something like the Institute of Contemporary Arts, what... How much public money do they get? I mean, from what I can understand, they've also had various, is it loans or something during this time of lockdown? What, what, is, what are we talking about here? What are the numbers? Uh, well, we're talking about hundreds of thousands. I think back in 2013, they got over £100,000 from the Arts Council. Um, recently, they've had some of the COVID sort of um, support money. So that's uh, tens of thousands, at least maybe over 100000 Um so this is quite large, mum, mum, uh, large amounts of money. And so that's the public money side. So there are two issues here, as you just said. Isn't there? There's what they're meant to do in their charter, for want of a better expression. And then there's what the charity commissioners should be looking at. Isn't that right? I mean, you've approached both, haven't you? You've written actually not just on this issue, but on other past issues. Can you, can you tell us what that was about? Yes, so in um, October 2018, the ICA invited Chelsea Manning, who's a, an American political activist, to come and speak at an event hosted by the ICA, not in their buildings, but in a different building. But it was arranged, it was hosted, and it was promoted by the ICA. Chelsea Manning is a political activist. The discussion was not about art. Uh, you can go through the, the transcript and you can go through the tweets that were done at the time by the ICA, and there's no discussion of art at all. Um, again, the ICA just says, well, this is contextualizing the social situation, which I think is, if you use the contextualizing argument, you can get away with presenting pretty much anything. Anything, anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I wrote to the ICA and I wrote to the Charities Commission and said, look, this is political campaigning from a, an arts charity, but is there anything you can do about it? And I got basically got brushed off by the Charities Commission. The, uh, the Ministry of Culture didn't really... Uh, Give any sort of response. This is Oliver Dowden. Uh, well, it was a, it was his predecessor, but it is now Oliver Dowden. Ed Vasey, would that be? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, the, but the department is it's kind of it's very timid when it comes yeah. to confronting yeah. arts organisations on political issues um, because I think that they're just. Um, they're afraid that they're going to be called racist and xenophobic and so forth. But um, this is public money, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And, 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 the, and guess what? These organisations, plus lots of media organisations, are going to call uh, the Conservative um, Culture Ministry, uh, run by the Conservative government, uh, racist and sexist and whatever, mm. whatever they mm. do. So you're going to be called mm. these things anyway. Just sort of step up and protect the public money. Mm. Um, so there was this case of Chelsea Manning, the activist. Now we've got this ex exhibition. Um, it seems utterly clear on the face of it to me. I mean, I, I haven't seen it yet, uh, and I probably won't go and see it, but 
It seems to me that essentially, Alexander, this is the drift of things. This is the way things are going. Now, you're not, obviously, as I said, very successful artist. And I would have thought, first of all, on a personal level, it's quite a, you plough a lonely furrow if you, in your world, uh, from what I would imagine. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, you, you realise that, um, I, I did realise sort of about 10 or 15 years ago that I was not going to be invited to the ICA. I was not going to have my pictures bought by the Tate Gallery. I was not going to be exhibited at the Whitechapel Art Gallery. In previous, uh, in previous eras, maybe I would have been. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe I have the ability. I mean, I, I do very well exhibiting in museums around Europe and uh, there are collectors and corporations and so forth. Yes. But uh, I think, you know I, know, I can see which way the wind's blowing. And I, I understand that obviously taste moves in different directions and uh, I may not be flavor of the month, but I feel like what we're seeing in the big, um, the big public institutions is what I've called uh, cultural entryism. Yes. Where you have uh, people who have um, very similar political aims and interests entering an organization in order to influence, control, or destroy that organization. And we've seen this in uh, popular culture, um, in franchises, you know, pop culture franchises like sort of Star Wars yeah. and Star Trek and so forth. Um, the American comic industry, which I've yeah. reported on. And also, you know, in, even in things like hobbies, like the knitting, the knitting hobby that you get, mm. you get activists moving into these areas and taking them over. And I believe that that's what's happened in uh, arts funding in Britain. Well, but you've written about this in the book, haven't you? Uh, Cultural war is about entryism. Yes. Uh, you know how this is the kind of sixty-four thousand dollar question. How deliberate is that? Do you think? I mean, we did a book last year on the long march through institutions, and uh, basically, uh, Mark Sibel wrote it and. Pretty much came to the conclusion that yes, this had happened, but that it was kind of a rather random thing, and indeed it was actually also aided and abetted by conservatives doing nothing about it. Do you think that that is it, or do you think entryism? Do you think it's sort of concerted? Well, it looks concerted because it, it happens uh, from very many different directions with lots of different individuals and lots of different organisations. But I think it's more just confluence. I think that if um, you're a middle class person, you go to university, you've mm. been through British public schooling, or I should say state schooling, um, you go to university, you're, you're taking the same sort of courses, you're learning the same sort of thing. Uh, your professors are overwhelmingly left wing. You're listening to uh, the BBC and ITV, Channel 4, you're reading The Guardian and so forth. How can you not end up having a sort of a left leaning worldview? Mm. So what I think it is, I don't think it's uh, anything, it's not so much um, conspiracy as convergence. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. parallelism, yeah. people thinking and talking in the same way and working towards the same end and having the same assumptions. And that's how you get these um, cultural, um, you get these sort of political monocultures in public life, in public institutions, especially the ones that are fun funded solely by the public. So it's not actually organised, it's not directed, people are not taking orders, but they're just happening to be working together towards the same aims. Well, you know that the National Gallery, which of course is a, not, if you like, a contemporary, it's not a contemporary uh, uh, collection. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, for want of a better expression, a heritage one. Um, but it said last year something like, the time has come where we can no longer not be political. I think the director of the National Gallery said that, and you sort of thought, what are you talking about? You know, you're the National Gallery, you're meant to curate a collection for the nation. Uh, 
what did that is part of what you're talking about, isn't it? Yes, you're also getting this in our English heritage. We've seen that already. That there's yes. been lots of um, conflict between uh, volunteers and lower members of the organisation, conflicting with the management, which has gone um, very woke. Mm. Uh, I think the problem is that what it, it is, it's that you've got some um, these sort of left-leaning uh, woke people who are going to the top of organisations now just because of, just because of generational sort of replacement. And I think the ones in the heritage organisations feel a bit left out. Yes. Because they're not like the Tate or the ICA. They can't get in all these sort of black, um, uh, you know, sort of um, immigrant artists and so forth. They can't, they can't set up displays of feminist art when all the art they've got ends in sort of 1900. Mm. So they're feeling a bit left out. So what they have to do is they have to, they have to virtue signal and say, oh, this is, you know, this is, it's time to draw a line under our past and to say that, you know, these past attitudes are wrong and we have to step away from them. And then what they do is they uh, invite lots of, uh, lots of guest artists who are contemporary artists and they invite in lots of women and non-heteronormative um, uh, non, uh, artists and, uh, and so forth in order so that they can display that, oh yes, to their friends in the, in the cocktail set, in the Guardian reading set, so they're, they're part of this, they're part of the club too. Yeah, it's, so it's become about what you are, who you are, rather than actually the quality of your work, really. Yes, sadly. I mean, it is, it is kind of shocking that when you read um, the press releases from arts organisations, especially uh, public organisations, where they start off with this, this Nigerian-born woman artist, da, 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 da. well, it's, it's kind of interesting, but then they're, they're foregrounding Oh, the, the lived experience of this or that. They're not talking about the arts. They're more interested in talking about the skin colour yes. than the colour of the pictures. Yes, exactly. Uh, do you see any end in sight to all of this? Uh, well, honestly, I mean, you can be pessimistic if you like. We we're fine about that on this show. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to be slightly yeah. pessimistic. But I, I see the future as simply setting up organizations that are not funded by the state, that right. are independent of the state, that um, individuals can have more control over, so uh, philanthropic organizations, so you could have arts organizations, museums, uh, you could have um, organizations which fund particular events, uh, you could have prizes for more traditional crafts, um, you could have um, uh, art that's judged in blind terms, so you have all the pictures, but you don't know the artist's name, so you don't know their ethnicity or their political agenda, and you just right. judge the work on the quality of the work, yes, exactly. which would be fantastic. I think uh, we need more people stepping up mm -hmm. to back those sort of things, and I think that the public will move with them. I think the public is really, really tired of political interfering and the finger-wagging where they have artists, especially artists coming in from, from London to these regional venues and finger-wagging and saying, oh, you're all racist, you're all backward. Oh, you know that, that statue that you really like and that you voted to keep. Well, did you know about his connections with the, this slave trade or this colonial enterprise? I think that the, the general public is quite frustrated with this. They're very tired. They want art judged as art. And I think that they are actually very open-minded when it comes yes. to gay artists, black artists, feminist artists, and so mm -hmm. forth. They're very welcoming. If the art is good enough, they're excited. They will back it. They'll go and see it. They'll buy the catalogues. They'll maybe even buy a small print for their wall or something. I think that there is a, a huge appetite for that. And so I think that there is some cause to be optimistic. I think the thing is, that's a very interesting suggestion that you know this idea whereby Increasingly in, in the workplace, uh, 
CVs are meant to not show anything about the person, almost to the point of being ridiculous, but actually that, that is the way. If you actually had pieces of art judged entirely just on the art without you knowing, in a way, who could possibly disagree with that? I mean, isn't that the perfect anti-discriminatory way of doing it? Absolutely. But that's exactly why the woke types hate it. Hate it that's yeah. why they hate aesthetics. They consider aesthetics to be like a parlour game played by the intelligentsia and the, and the connoisseurs to keep out uh, outsiders, marginalised groups, as they put it. Yeah. It's not the case at all. Yeah. If you judge art on the best art, you get someone like um, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat entering the canon. I think he's, a, I mean, people have got different views on him. I think he's a terrific artist. He's got loads of vitality and energy, and he's bringing in ideas from pop culture and high culture and street art and graffiti and so forth. It's really exciting stuff. And an artist like um, uh, Frida Kahlo, um, so sort of part native heritage, um, very strong sort of feminist outlook, communist. She's been embraced by people because of the quality of her art. Mm. And I think that we forget that the canon is always absorbing the best art from any period yeah. and that the canon cannot exclude, it can only include and omit. And that it's not run by sort of, you know, bearded patriarchs who are saying, you shall never enter, black artists shall never enter, women artists shall never enter. No, these artists are already coming into the canon. Yes, yes. Um, do you think... Alexander, that there is a dislike of beauty as well amongst these people. I mean, we had uh, an artist called Jonathan Mars Lee on a while ago, and this is very much one of his preoccupations, and I think it rings true to me. There is a sort of, you know, this idea that somehow things that we would consider to be transcendental and beautiful um, are to be discredited. There's a distrust of them, even a lack of understanding of them. Absolutely. There is there is a, a real anger grab against nor, uh, not just beauty, but normality, because the idea of uh, beauty suggests consensus. Yes. And of course, postmodernism yes. tells us there is no such thing as consensus. There's just simply yeah. power being imposed, being through being imposed through the canon and through language and through discriminatory um, institutions and so forth. So beauty is just an illusion being forced top down to control and exclude marginalized groups. So there is a real aggression against beauty. Yes. And this even goes back to Soviet times where, you know, sort of Soviet um, socialist realism, art was directed to have specific political yeah. aims and that uh, it was very difficult to exhibit work that was just beautiful. Because if you were just exhibiting something that's um, entrancing an entrancing landscape or a beautiful figure or a great still life or something. This was a room for private contemplation and for personal judgment. Yeah. And of course, once you're doing that, you're stepping away from the party telling you what is useful, what is necessary. Yeah. So this is actually an, actually an act of um, rebellion to have private taste and private consumption. So th this goes all the way back to Soviet times. Don't you think that, I mean, the, the, the one area I would have thought where this is particularly strong is in public art, you know, art that's on display, which has always been its own particular category, hasn't it? You know, memorials often uh, weren't necessarily there for great, uh, you know, artistic merit. I mean, they, they might have been very good, but they, it, they, they serve a different purpose, don't they? But generally our public art now is shockingly banal or, you know, just untalented, isn't it? Well, yes, but this is partly the problem of uh, the de-skilling of art schools. So a lot of art schools, they don't actually teach um, skills. I went to art school myself. Where did you go? Then? I went to Goldsmiths oh, in the right. early 90s. Actually, it was just uh, the generation, just a couple of years after uh, Damien Hirst. Yeah. 
So you had lots of wannabe Damien Hirsts in our, in our art studio sort of posing and taking photographs He's of a particular favourite with our viewers. <laughs> and he's, uh, yeah, so, so there, was a, there was a lot of networking and a lot yeah. of sort of, there was a little bit of backstabbing as well, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, yes, I've forgotten what no, your question No, no, it's just, I was just thinking, you know, basically... Uh, oh, the, sorry, say, the, de the de-skilling. The de-skilling, in other words, the, well, jettisoning of traditional methods, isn't that Yes, right? there is this idea, there is this false idea that um, traditional skills and traditional materials are, natu are naturally allied to conservative worldviews and conservative outlooks. I don't think that's the case. No. I think that if you, the problem is, of course, if you learn a traditional skill, you actually learn, oh, actually, the craftsmen of ancient times actually knew what they were doing. They were very, very skilled. And so actually, there is a value in tradition. And that's why the left hates it, because they want to say, oh, you know, tradition is just is just arbitrary. It's being imposed. It's just mm -hmm. it's completely false. It's not natural. Well, no, actually, if you understand how to carve stone, you see, oh, well, actually, the Greeks did understand this and they were solving problems, mm -hmm. you know, 2000 years ago. So you do end up uh, instilled with a degree of respect for tradition, which the left hates. But you've also got this thing of um, uh, having to, uh, I don't think that you need to use traditional skills to tell traditional stories. No. I think that you can, you, you can do a, um, a, a bar relief in bronze that has a feminist subject or, you know, like a sort of black diaspora um, subject that you can put all sorts of messages into something and you can use traditional means and traditional methods. Uh, I don't see a conflict, mm. but uh, the left tends not to feel that way. And a lot of our art tutors in colleges are now quite intimidated by um, the idea of craft and tradition because, of course, they weren't taught it themselves. So it's very difficult for them to pass it on to their students. So we had to do a lot of learning on our own, um, sort of testing things for ourselves in the studio. Yes. And then a tutor would come in and say, oh, yes, actually, you've done that quite well. Oh, if you're interested in that, you want to look at this artist because he did it very well. So go and have a look at his works. Yeah. So they would give you advice rather than actual technical instruction. When you look around the landscape now, we actually, quite coincidentally, before we, you know, uh, uh, it happened before we knew we were going to be talking today, uh, this statue of Diana went up, for example. Now, you know, people say, some people say yes, some people they, they like it, others not. But to me, it was a good example of the general deterioration, for me anyway, of standards of sort of craftsmanship, actually, more than anything, and shocking sentimentality. I mean, do you, do you have a view on, on, on it or did you well, like it? Well, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I think the problem with a lot of sculpture now is that um, it's, it's too literal. Yes. Uh, it, it can be too yeah. sentimental. You, you look at some of the, some of the great um, war memorials from the Great War, um, the, the, the Jagger War Memorial especially, where they combine um, pathos and uh, dignity. And this is very difficult to achieve, especially if you haven't been trained in it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very easy to miss the mark with uh, modern figurative sculpture if you've not been trained in it. I think the per perfect uh, example of that actually would be the cenotaph in Whitehall. The cenotaph by Lutyens um, is this extraordinary and it just says the glorious dead. It doesn't say the glorious dead men or anything. But then along came in the 90s um, the sort of smaller black uh, basalt sort of uh, cenotaph for w the women of World War Two, with all of their sort of coats hanging on the memorial, which you sort of thought, actually, that sh this one was all-encompassing, but we somehow can't seem to do that anymore. 
Yes, it's and it's it's quite divisive when you start sort of separating people out. Yes. And I mean, I, I think that a lot of people were quite upset um, at the the attack on the cenotaph last mm. year by the BLM uh, protesters, mm. um, because uh, and also people on the left as well, because you know that the people who died in the war were not necessarily volunteering because they believed in uh, the colonies no, in, no. in the empire. Oh, quite right. Yeah. Some of them went against their will. Some of them fought because they were shamed to do it. Some of them fought uh, for their families, for their communities, for their nation, for their monarch, yeah. and. Some of them died unwillingly, and many of them were socialists. Many yeah. of them were left-wing. They were working class, but they joined the cause willingly or unwillingly. And to have their memory shamed is is quite despicable. And I think a lot of a lot of ordinary people found that quite revolting. When we just uh, before we leave this uh, public art thing, of course, uh, this week uh, we had announcement of two of the things that are going to go on the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square. Now, this is something which exercises a lot of people's mind, minds. This plinth has been empty for a year. You know, it, it should have had, I think it should have had, it was William the Fourth, I think, on it originally. If a real purist, I think that's what it was. But since then, they've had this revolving thing. And uh, the two examples they, they've got now, which are going to go up, are obviously intensely political. Um, one is sort of born, obviously, as a response to the Black Lives Matter protest. The other one is, broadly speaking, about uh, the trans issue. Um, do you know at all how how has this come about? I mean, how how is it chosen, uh, the, the fourth plinth? Do you, do you know? It's a committee, isn't it? Yes, it's a committee. I think that you've also got um, different organisations involved, the Arts Council, yeah. uh, the London Meralty. Uh, the Department of Culture also gets involved, so they've all got they've all got their fingers involved in this, and I think that they all tend to think, they they tend to think in very similar ways. Yeah. They have very similar outlooks. Um, you're not, I, I don't think you're going to see anything uh, ever traditional there. No. I was, um, I, I I'm interested in following the Colston issue because of yeah. the Colston statue, the the Edward Colston statue was toppled in Bristol in 2020, in June 2020. And that's where you uh, live, that, isn't That's it? where I live, yeah. So I was actually quite familiar with that statue before it was toppled. And uh, interestingly enough, um, the uh, when it was toppled, um, who could who was on Twitter but uh, Stefan Kalmar, the director of the ICA, who we started off with, uh, right, crowing about the fact that the location of the Colston statue was now in the River Raven. I think it's um, a little bit rich for um, a German curator who's a guest in our country, who's uh, being funded by the taxpayer, to be celebrating the destruction of British cultural yeah, heritage. Yeah, yeah. What do you think then, have you been to this new exhibit where the Colston statue is lying there, uh, graffiti. Have you seen this yet? No, I've decided not to see it because um, I consider it to be a trophy. Yeah. It's being presented as a trophy, as a defiled trophy, mm. um, that it's um, been captured, it's been despoiled, and it's lying on its side. I, I doubt that uh, the Museum of London, for example, would um, take a statue, the, the bust of Nelson Mandela, if that was graffitied and thrown into the Thames, I doubt that they would be taking it into the Museum of London and showing yeah. it on its side covered in its graffiti. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a very definite political statement of yeah. a captured flag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've obviously written a great length about this in these books. Uh, you have personally, you know, put some opposition up to, as we talked about, the ICA. Uh, and unfortunately, the responses of you know, being, shall we say, desultory. 
Um, but what do you think people should do? You mentioned uh, philanthropic institutions, but what do people? What do you think people should do who love our artistic heritage and do love beauty and are getting more and more despairing? I mean, you know, we hear this thing now of the the monastery of the mind. I had a guest on called Rob, uh, Rod, Rod Deere recently talked about this, whereby you just simply take the best of your artistic heritage and you take the best of contemporary art and you just simply cherish it and you just simply no longer bother with this other stuff. Easy said than done, isn't it, really? Yes, it is. I'm surprised you didn't plug your organisation Save Our Statues, Dr. Oh, Walker. right, OK. <laughs> um, because that's, that's a fantastic way people can, yeah. can get involved. So I know that the... I know that the people on the right or just even just uh, normal people who are just sort of slightly socially conservative or they want to see the heritage preserved, regardless of their politics, um, they're, they're, they're pretty bad about getting involved. The left are very committed. They're very organized. They're very good yeah, with petitions. Yeah. They're very good with pressure groups. They're very good with lobby groups. Yeah. And they tend to get things done. And people on the right, I, I just say people, anyone who's not on the left, is, I'm on the right here. So I'll just say, yeah, call yeah, that yeah, the right. Yeah, yeah. So people on the right, just tend to say, oh, well, that's a bit cringe. I don't really want to get involved. It's a bit embarrassing. I don't really want to go on a march. I don't really want to sign a petition. But you need to. You need to sign yeah. petitions. You need yeah. to get involved in these things. You need to go to council meetings. You need to write letters to your MP and to your local council. And I know it's boring and I know it's normy stuff, but it does make a difference. And if you can if you can do enough of that, you can get um, you can maybe get through the bubble the woke bubble that surrounds these councillors uh, or these MPs uh, who spend all their time sort of hanging out with um, sort of left-wing journalists and hanging out in the sort of the Channel 4 news studios and so forth. You can get through there by getting involved. And I know that the, this other option that you've talked about, the sort of the, the Benedictine option, which is like the, the idea of retreating to a monastery and, and, and allowing the rest of the country to, to, to sort of decimate itself while you protect what you can. That's great in terms of um, traditions, skills, teachings, education, uh, books, and so forth. You can you can do that. You can you can have these sort of little fortresses of knowledge and of tradition, and that's a good thing to have. The problem is that you can't do that when it comes to physical culture. You can't move no. the cenotaph. No, you no. can't you can't move the art in the national gallery no. to these to these places where they're going to be protected by traditionalists. You're not going to be able to. No. You're not going to be able to sort of paint your own Rembrandts and carve your own Canovas. No. So you have you have to you do have to get involved with these organisations. You do have to be a normie. You do have to write letters. You do have to get. You do have to, to subscribe to the Critic and the Jackdaw, the uh, the newsletter, which is for sort of more um, conservative outlook on the arts. Uh, no, I completely agree. That, you know, people, oh, what, you know, you should be saying, well, you should write to your MP, something like that. Oh, people say, what's the point of that? I'm not going to do anything. What we found out, as you said last year, was actually it really did make a difference. Not writing to the MP necessarily, but these kind of putting into local consultations about it really made makes a difference. Finally, um, Alexander, I wonder, do you think that people fully appreciate well, what, which, my view, which is that this is an outright attack actually on our very civilization? I feel, um, our culture and civilization. I don't know whether you would go that far, but do you think, well, first of all, would you? Yes, I would go. I would go that far and I would go further. I would say that all the institutions that you believe protect your, your culture and your heritage 
have been entered by political activists and social activists. None of these organizations are truly committed to heritage. None of them are actually committed to saying, look, politics has to leave, has to stay outside. You've got a generation or two generations now of people who believe that their first commitment is to their personal private politics mm. rather than their institution or to serving the people or to even serving the art form by preserving it or presenting it and explaining how things are. Not justifying slavery, but saying, look, this is something that was produced, that was bought mm. by a man who owned slaves. There's the information. You can judge it morally or or you can take it uh, without adding that extra context. But they're not doing this. They are having show trials of morality in order to humiliate and to denigrate mm. people who were involved with our heritage. And I think that this is an, they know that this is an implicit attack on the majority of the people as well. Yes. And they're doing this very deliberately. And don't rely, don't think that the behind the august front of um, the National Portrait Gallery or the National Gallery or the British Museum, that uh, that there are these sort of crusty traditionalists who are who are diligently sort of looking after materials. No, these these they're they're retiring. They're being moved out. They're being the, these organisations are being downsized, and you're getting in diversity officers who are political commissars. Mm. And this is happening in all the heritage organisations. So beware. Beware. Yes, exactly. Um, and wake up. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. Thank you very much, Alexander. Thank you. I will just mention the books again. There, well, there have been many that he's written, but the ones I think which might interest you the most are Culture War, this one here, and Iconoclasm. Uh, available on Amazon, I guess. Available on all bookselling websites and through bookshops. And through bookshops as well. And uh, thank you very, very much for joining us. That My pleasure. Great. Thank you very much, Alexander. Uh, that's it for this week. Do remember, won't you, to subscribe, as I say every week. Uh, seems to work. Uh, and we shall see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.